Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. We are in week seven of this series in the book of Nehemiah, and by and large, it's a pretty heavy series, you know? Um, Nehemiah is in their whole nation is in exile in Persia. They're a thousand miles away from their homeland. He finds out that things are really rougher than he thought they were in the homeland. He's like just broken by it, trying to figure out what to do about it. He goes to the king and, you know, cashes in his chips with his boss and says, hey, can you help me do something about this? Will you let me do it? And then he goes and finds out it might be worse than he thought it was. And he's trying to encourage these people and, and form a team, a group of people to get something done about it. And they have these folks that don't want it to happen and then just obstacles internal and external to keep it from happening. And so all of that has been, uh, has been difficult and relatable given what we've been going through, um, you know, for the last six months as everybody. But this week, here's how this starts. So Nehemiah chapter six, verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month Elul in 52 days. The wall is finished. So this, this is the, the week in, this, in the story where everything turns. He says, when all the enemies heard of it, the nations around us were afraid. They fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. So this week is the good news. All the hard work paid off. The wall was finished faster than anyone expected, and even the people around them knew that something was up. What do you... This is what I want you to think about for just a minute. What do you do when you experience a win in your life? How do you respond when things go the way you've been wanting them to go? How do you respond when the thing you've been waiting for seemingly forever uh, actually happens? Um, how do you respond emotionally? How do you respond physically? How do you respond relationally? When you, maybe you get the job you know, you've been waiting for, you get the promotion, or you get the raise, or you get the corner office, or whatever it is. Uh, maybe you, you meet somebody, you know, and you've been waiting for that for a long time, or you realize that the somebody that you met is the, is the, the somebody, and you're about to take a big step relationally. Maybe uh, the test comes back positive, and that could mean about a lot of different things, you know what I mean? It could be it could be school. You get a better grade on a test than you thought you deserved or you were going to. It could be medical, and um, you get results back that you're really anxious about, but they, they turn out to be really positive. It could be um, you've been trying to, to have a kid f- forever, and finally that pregnancy test comes back positive. How do you respond? Maybe you just, as, a, as an individual or a family, you get some breathing room financially when you haven't had breathing room financially for a while, and you realize, like, just how much of a strain that has been and a stress, and it's lightened. Um, and so there's a chance to respond. Maybe it's a family member or a friend or a child who's been struggling, and then all of a sudden just something changes and something turns, and it looks like things are going in a more positive direction. What do you what do? You do? do you take time? Uh, do, you, do you breathe? Do you celebrate those things? Who gets the credit? Uh, do you get the credit? Um, do, do, does someone else, do others get the credit? Does God get the credit? Uh, does fate get the credit? Does nobody get the credit? Like, do you take time to, to assign credit 
And what does that reveal about who you think was in control the whole time? How fast do you move on to the next area of your life that is not really satisfying to you? You know, how fast, do you, how long do you sit there and celebrate, but how fast do you move on to the next, uh, to the next thing? Do you ever repent for being so worried that whatever the thing is, it was never going to happen? You know, do you ever, like, spend some time with God in, and ask him to forgive you for all your anxiety and for your lack of faith in the midst of whatever you were going through? What percentage of your mental energy do you spend worrying about things that could go wrong versus being grateful for things that have gone right? Um, and last, last question in that. When you wake up in the morning, what percentage of the mornings do you wake up thankful and what percentage of the mornings do you wake up anxious? Am I in anybody's business yet? I, need, I, don't, I don't get people to respond every week. I need to know, am I in anybody's business or is this just me? Am I alone in this or is this like as much everybody as I think uh, it is? Because, yeah, all those questions have been rolling through my head. So we get to this, this part in the story of Nehemiah and the wall gets built. And so that's really the question is how are they going to respond? This wall gets built in 52 days. The people around them recognize in that little passage that I read, the people around them are like, there is no way that those people got that wall built that fast. Like the people around them recognize God had to be in that. They fell in their own esteem. That God was exalted in their esteem um, for the people around them. But does that happen for the Israelites? How do they respond or do they, do they move right on? So that's where this is going. Lord, I pray that you would use your word today. Um, I you have spoken to me, you are speaking to me, and I pray you do continue to speak to me even this morning as, as I preach this, Lord. And I pray that um, you would speak to all of us, God, that your Holy Spirit would enlighten us, that you would convict us, uh, that you would encourage us, and that you would change us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. So I'm going to go through, uh, we're going to go through the next five chapters of Nehemiah this morning. We're going to be here till three o'clock in the afternoon. Now, I'm going to skip through some sections, and so you can go back and look at that, but a lot of those next five chapters are like lists of people or a, rep, a repeat of the whole story of the Old Testament. So I'm going to skip through and just look at how they responded. This is Nehemiah chapter 7. When the wall had been built, I set up the doors, and the gatekeepers and the singers and the Levites had been appointed. I gave my brother Hananiah and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was more faithful, a more faithful and God-fearing man uh, than many. And so the wall wasn't, I mean, this is, I don't think this is moving on. The wall wasn't the beginning or the end, though. It was the beginning. Like, the wall was there so that they could restore their identity as the people of God and so that they could worship. And so he really completes it by putting the things in place that the wall makes possible. And now they can worship God in, um, in deeper ways. Nehemiah chapter 8. All the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel, so Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And so, I to mention this, but all this stuff happens in the next few weeks after the wall is finished. And so Ezra read from the book of the law, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday. They, they have some church, you know, and in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand, and the ears of the people, of all the people, were attentive to the book of the law. So did they move right on to whatever the next thing was? Did they, 
Did they neglect to give God the credit and the thing that had happened? No. They are more attentive than ever to what God is doing. They recognize that he is the one who's done this, and so collectively they take advantage of what the wall lets them do, and they draw near to him. Instead of saying, um, you know, we'll do this sometimes, like I needed God for that thing, but now I got it, and I'm good, and I can go on my own, they drew, they drew closer to him. Nehemiah, later in uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, and Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and the scribe and the Levites who taught all the people, said to the people, this day is holy to the Lord uh, your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. All the people wept as they heard the words of the law. And he said to him, go your way, eat the fat, and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our, God, our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And so this gets into emotionally how they respond and, I mean, it's interesting because their, their knee-jerk response isn't joy, but it's, there's some sorrow that they have to coach them through. And so I, you know, I wondered that, like, why, why are they sad? And um, I think ultimately what it was is they were humbled. They were humbled. They realized that God had done something for them that they really didn't deserve. Um, they didn't deserve. And so they're listening to the law of God. They're listening to the Old Testament. They're listening to the prophets. They're listening to the Torah. They're listening to all these things. And what they're hearing is a reminder of how they got to this place where the nation of Israel was taken away to Babylon and Assyria in exile. And, uh, and they're grateful and humbled. I said a few weeks ago in one of the sermons, um, I used the line that Nehemiah, he had a sense of expectation of what God was going to do, but not a sense of entitlement that God owed him. And a number of you have mentioned to that me over mentioned that to me over the last few weeks, and that like stuck with me for um, a handful of weeks after that because that's such a tough balance to have an expectation because God has made promises to us and yet not have a sense of entitlement like God owes us whatever it is. Um, and that's understanding the gospel and the grace of God that the things that God gives us, He gives us because He loves us. He doesn't He doesn't give it to us because um, we earned it. You know, uh, he's, he's gracious to us because of his love, and his grace is not predicated on our performance. We've used this line before, but God doesn't love you because you're good. He makes you good because he loves you. And I think they get that. They understand that uh, in this moment. Nehemiah understands it, and he's transferred it to his people. They've been in exile for 150 years. This city has been in ruins. And so they could have had the attitude, well, it's about time, God. I don't know what you've been waiting for, but I'll just let it go and we'll move on. And sometimes we do that with God. Um, and there are times when, you know, we can ask questions like that to God. I'm in Job right now in my personal reading, and, and there's a lot of that tension in there. Um, but how many times do we approach God with a sense of entitlement instead of a sense of gratitude? And they don't. They receive this as um, the grace of God and the life of the nation of Israel and, and they have to be coached into joy because they recognize what God's done for them. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, this day is holy, don't be grieved. All the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and make great rejoicing because they'd understand the words that were declared to them. Nehemiah chapter 9, they stood in their place, they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. A quarter of the day, that would be like six hours of worship and confession. May just be daylight hours, but like that's a lot of worship and confession, and that's where it drove them to. Again, we don't deserve this. God, you have been good to us in a point of humility. Nehemiah 9 is this recounting of the whole story of the Old Testament 
which is basically God gave Israel a chance that they didn't deserve, and um, they screwed it up, and they had, they had coming what they got. Uh, and now God is giving them another chance, and the wall is God's grace uh, towards them. And then Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 38 uh, they renew their covenant with the Lord. Because of all this, we made a furred covenant in writing on the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, our priests. Um, and so this, like, just makes, this makes sense. Like, they're renewing that covenant. God had, when they came out of the desert with Moses and Joshua into the promised land, they made a covenant with the Lord. And, um, and God said, if you break the covenant, I'm going to kick you out. And ultimately, they became worse than the people that God kicked out so they could inhabit the land. But now God's given them um, a second chance. And this, again, like, this is just the gospel. This is the gospel. This is us. Like, God has given us a chance. He's given us something that we don't deserve in the grace of Jesus because we had turned away from God. And we believed that we were smarter than him and better than him and made our own decisions for the direction of our lives, and we experience the consequences of that. The people around us experience the consequences of that. God experiences the consequences of that. And then he gives us Jesus to show us what it looks like to live in, in harmony with God and fellowship and submission to the Father. Um, he, because he, he led that perfect life, can die on a cross in our place to pay the consequences that we ultimately can't pay, which ultimately is, is death. And, um, and a death that like is ultimate, but it's daily. Like our relationships die a little bit daily because of our sin. You know, our emotional well-being dies a little bit daily because of our sin. Our physical health all suffer because of that. And Christ comes to reverse that. And now the Spirit is making us more like him. And so they are re-expressing their dependence on him in a, in, in a similar way that Jesus says, pick up your cross daily and follow me. And they renew this covenant with him. And then at the end of... Um, the end of these, these chapters that I'm summarizing, Nehemiah chapter 12, I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall. I appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south and then one went to the north. And they offered great sacrifices that day and they rejoiced. God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. And that's a great line. The joy of Jerusalem because of what God had done and their recognition of what God had done, the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. What do you do when you experience a win in life? Is the, is the joy uh, and gratitude that you feel, is that heard far away? Is it heard far away? Is it here nearby? Like, is it, like, do you hear it? You know, do you take time to recognize it? Uh, and I think there's a lot of personal ways that convicts me, I think, of situations, even recently, even with COVID, even like all the time, you experience wins in life, but we move on real fast, and so I'm convicted by that. I think about it in a broader sense for us uh, as a church. Uh, what, what is it to win for us as a church, and do we do a good job of letting our joy be, be heard, you know? And the win for us as a church is God changing people's lives. It's God changing our lives. Uh, the win for the church, the mission of the church is seeing people being reconciled to their Father in heaven through the work of Jesus on the cross and with the tomb, and then seeing people being conformed to the image of Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit. Like, that's the win. And that's, you know, in church terms, evangelism and discipleship. It's you becoming aware of your need for what Christ has done for you. Um, in, in ways that you hadn't, you know, come into that moment where you realize 
I believe in who he is and what he's done, and I needed that, and surrendering yourself to him. Um, and then growing, like that sense of need doesn't go away. It just grows and gets deeper in like kind of mysterious and spooky ways and depending on him more and more. It's people becoming aware and, um, you know, this happened a lot over the years, but people, I say this a lot, that church is, a, is a, if you haven't been to church in a while, church is a really scary place. Church is a scary word. You ask 100 people what church evokes in their mind, you're going to get 100 different images. But it's people realizing that um, the church might not be, and Jesus might be, not be, and God might not be exactly what they had in their mind, and reforming that image um, to the place where they get to the point of surrendering them. And that's our job as a church, is to help people come to know and to follow Jesus. Uh, one person put it this week, it's growing the family of God through the gospel of Jesus. And that's our wall. Like, that's what we do um, as a church. Uh, and in this, like, in, like in the story, it's not just the wall leads to other things. You know, the wall of our personal surrender to Christ and growth in Christ leads to other things. It leads to worship. When we surrender like that, then God, like just as we're singing and talking about exalting God into his place, that's why we do that every week. And hopefully you do that several times throughout the week where we, in our hearts, exalt him to the place where he belongs. Because that's what we were made, that's what he made us to do. We're made in his image to surrender him, to exalt him to reflect him to the world around us, to glorify him. And the world is better off when that happens. And when we start doing that and surrendering to him, the kingdom of God becomes a reality on earth as it is in heaven. And that's what we're after, you know, because we're making a mess of this thing and only God can fix it. And that happens as we individually surrender to him in our hearts, his kingdom comes. And then when his kingdom comes in our hearts, it comes in our relationships with each other. And when it comes in our relationships with each other, it comes in our families. And after it comes in our families, it can come and our neighborhoods and in our schools and in our workplaces and um, in our city. And like that's what happens when the wall gets built. Uh, that's what's possible. Has all that happened here? Has all that happened here? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I mean, I just frequently think about just how, just people over time. That's the joy of being a pastor and how God has worked in their lives and grown them and changed them um, over time. I, I heard someone say this recently. They quoted a guy named Dallas, Dallas Willard, uh, and his line was, instead of counting Christians, we should weigh them. Instead of counting Christians, we should weigh them. And that, you know, obviously didn't mean literally weigh them, but metaphorically weigh them. Like, have we gotten heavier as disciples? When we had a family that left last fall and moved to Europe, the Quins, and just presented a unique opportunity to kind of look at a, a couple that came early when we started the church and how they'd grown. And I, I did that. I put them on a scale of zero to 100 in terms of like their pursuit of Christ or their growth in Christ. And when they came, they were real young in Christ, maybe at like a five on a scale to 100. And they got baptized and they just, lots of stuff happened in their life. When they left, they were like an 85 or a 90, like I want to be like the Quins because they had grown so much in Christ. And that's what this guy means, that um, people need to, to grow in that. And um, in that, that's the win. You know, that's the win. I started thinking about, um, I started thinking about that, particularly in relation to, like, people that are newer to, to church, to Jesus, to Oak City Church, whatever it is. I started thinking a few weeks ago about the story of Peter in the, in the Bible. And so 
he's one of Jesus' disciples. But when he starts, he, um, his brother tells him about Jesus and says, hey, you should come check this out. And, uh, and that's how it starts. Like somebody tells you, you should check this out, Jesus, because he's done something, because their joy is heard around them. And so he comes and he checks out Jesus. Um, and he starts to like, I mean, it's kind of like starting to go to church, you know, but probably not all the way in. And then he has this, this incident that kind of wrecks him. So Jesus, one morning, Peter's gotten in from fishing, and Jesus is going to start to preach, and he needs some help. He needs his boat. And this is what people do. They hang around, and then they lend a hand. You know, they start to belong, uh, maybe even before they start to believe. And so Jesus preaches in the boat, and then he comes back, and he tells Peter, hey, um, why don't you go out and cast your nets out again and do some fishing? And Peter's like, you don't fish during the day, you fish at night. I'm a fisherman, you're a preacher. Why don't you stick to the preaching and I'll stick to the fishing? But he does it anyway because he really respects him. And he catches more fish than he's ever caught in his entire life. And he has this moment of realization where Jesus is something other than he thought he was. Like there's something really real about Jesus and it scares him. Um, when Simon Peter saw the fish, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, get away from me for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. He realizes Jesus is something completely other. And I thought, that's what happens to people. They hang out for a while. They start investigating. They, they start coming on a routine basis. And then at some point, Jesus does something where we realize, oh, man, he's something different than I thought he was. And he's real. And he's going to want more from me than I thought he was going to. And that kind of scares me. And I'm going to have to do something about that. Uh, and it came to the point in that passage where Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. I know you're afraid. Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. And he goes through that, and we go through that, and you go through that. And some of you, that's where you are right now. Now, he goes a little bit further with Jesus, and he's following him, and he has this place where um, Jesus does this uh, hard teaching, and it says many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, where are we going to go? To whom are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. We've believed and we've come to know that you are the one. You are the holy one of God. And he gets to that point where he realizes he can't leave because he's so convinced that this is true. And like that's getting heavy as a disciple. And we go, all of us go through that stage. Uh, and, it, and it gets hard, but it doesn't make a difference how hard it is because it's true. And if it's true, it's good, even if it doesn't seem good to you in the moment. And so we grow through that. And then Jesus, you know, gives him a position of leadership, and he screws some things up, gets a little full of himself, and Jesus has to call him Satan, and that happens sometimes. Like, that's part of, like, growing in Christ is screwing things up. I'm reading this book right now for a pastor's retreat I'm going on this week called The Critical Journey. I was a little suspicious, but it's turned out to be a really good book, and he talks about these stages of, um, of uh, awareness of God and then the, the life of discipleship and then the productive life where you really start serving and pouring in. And then he says you get on the inward journey. And then he says you hit a wall where God isn't, like things don't go the way you think they were. And he's, you start to change, he starts to change how you think about him. And then you hit this wall and then you have an outward journey in the life of love. And that's been really convicting. And he talked about Peter getting to the place where Jesus goes to the cross and Peter hits the wall because he's completely disillusioned because what he thought was true about Jesus isn't necessarily the same thing that he thought it was. And we grow, and we hit that point, and then he totally screws things up, and he thinks it's all over, and then Jesus says, feed my sheep and be the Pope. And so, like I thought when I was thinking about this a few weeks ago, like that's our path, that's everybody's path, that's your path. Jesus wants you to be the Pope, okay? 
Some of you are Catholic and like you grew up Catholic. You're like, what's he talking about? I'm not talking about being the Pope. I don't know what to say about the Pope. But he wants you to go from this place where someone's like, you should check this out. And so you do. And, and then it becomes apparent to you that Jesus is more than you thought he was. And you get a little bit afraid <laughs> to commit to him, but you have to. And then you grow through this thing to where like it maybe even gets more confusing, but God can use you even more when you do that. Like that's God's path for you. And for us as a church, our goal because that's God's goal for you, is to, to see you take those steps along that path and to grow in that way. That's our goal for you. Uh, and our job as a church is to grow on that path ourselves because we're all in the path, but it's to help you in places where we've maybe been in some of those places. We've been to that place where it's scary. We've been to that place where you get disillusioned. We've been to that place where you screw things up and to help coach you through all that. Um, that's, that's what we're here for as a church. And it's unapologetically our goal for you to surrender to Christ, to come to know Jesus and to start to follow Jesus and to grow in that because it's unapologetically God's goal for you because it's what you're made for and what's best. That is our wall. Uh, and when we do that, God will get worship and he'll get glory and that'll be good for the world and we'll surrender and God's kingdom has come in our hearts and it's come in our relationships and it comes in our families and our neighborhoods and our workplaces and our schools and our cities. And Jesus talks a lot about that stuff in terms of like, seeds and fields and growth and mustard seeds that you put in the ground and think nothing's happening and then all of a sudden boom you know something big happens and so it takes time um, but that's that's our wall and man God has done that here uh, I don't I don't know that we've let our joy be heard in the way that um, that we ought to I don't know that we've responded to the winds uh, the, the way the winds are worthy to be responded to. Um, and part of that's, I mean, culture, part of it's uh, not being humble enough to say, like, God, I didn't deserve this. I didn't deserve this. Like, you've been better to me than I, than I thought you would be or than I deserved because it takes humility to do that and you got to open yourself up. And we need, we need more of that. Baptism is... You know, baptism, I was thinking about that in terms of this. Baptism is giving credit where credit is due. Like, that's part of what baptism is. It's saying, God did something for me that I totally didn't deserve, and I want to let everybody know. Um, even if that's hum more humbling to me than I'm ready for or I want to, and that's why Jesus tells us to do it, baptism is, is saying God sent his son from heaven to earth uh, to humble himself on a cross so that I could be reconciled to God and have the hope of being with him forever. And he did that for me. And baptism is really an expression of recognition and also an expression of, um, you know, gratitude. I'm with Jesus, and he has begun to change my life. And so if you've gone through that stage, and I talk about Peter, and you recognize, like, yeah, I've done that, and I've gotten to that place where I'm a little bit scared, but I know he's real, and so... I surrendered to him. I believed him. You, you need to get baptized. And um, if you, you know, some of you, a lot of folks here over the years have come back to church and back to God, back to Jesus after 10, 15, 20 years away. They come back as adults. If, if you think back and you got baptized as a kid or an infant, and, but it just means nothing because you didn't, you just didn't, you have no recognition. If you have recognition, you know that was it, and so you'd strayed for a little while and came back, fine. But if you have no memory of it, then you should get baptized again. Um, 
and we're ready to do some baptisms. We're figuring out how to do some COVID-friendly baptisms. We'll find a lake or a river or something. And so let me know, and we'll do that. And if you're a, a heavier disciple than you were when you came to Jesus, and you better be a heavier disciple. You know, you better be able to track your heaviness over time. That's a win, and you need to make sure that you celebrate it. And so again, in church, like that's when people start coming, and this is it, that people will start to come, and they'll kind of be in and out. And they could be in and out for weeks or months or years. Uh, but then they start to come more routinely, and then they start to engage, and they, they start to kind of put their hand up and say, I'm new here, and they develop some relationships and realize that God is worthy of the routine and that these relationships matter. And that is growing heavier as a disciple. And then people get to a point where they, you know, we're constantly asking for people to serve in different ministries of the church. We need folks to plug in, and they'll raise their hand and say, okay, I'm ready to do that. And that is growing heavier as a disciple. And people get to a point where they trust God with their time, and then they'll trust God with their finances. We'll make that call from time to time of, like, this is what he tells you to do throughout the Bible. When you do that, you're gaining some weight as a disciple of um, Jesus, when your burden for the people around you grows, when you're like Peter's brother saying, hey, you got to check this out because you need this, like you're getting heavier as a disciple, when you realize that you now have something to give to other people on that path, like you recognize you've been there, and so you can help people along in that. You're gaining weight as a disciple of Jesus. When you, I mean, people have done crazy things here in terms of starting ministries and um, adopting kids and fostering kids, like you're getting really heavy as a disciple when you do that thing that just seems crazy. And you thought like three years ago, I will never, ever do this. Uh, the family that moved to Europe, she said, I'll never do this. And three years later, God had them moving to Europe. Like that type of thing is gaining weight um, as a disciple. And when things get hard and you stick with it, even though you don't, you don't get it and you don't like some of the things, but you know God wants you there, you're getting heavier as a disciple. What has God done? What is God doing uh, in your life? Who's getting the credit for that? Is anyone getting the credit for that? You know, are you routinely just talking with people around you about what God's doing in your life, in the church or outside of the church? Do the people around you know enough to celebrate with you? And is that process, because that's what it does, it humbles us and helps us to grow an understanding of expectation without entitlement and, and deepening our understanding of God's love and grace towards us. If you've been, you've been walking with Jesus for a while, like that's your assignment is before the, the day is out, uh, maybe before you leave here, share with somebody. Um, share with somebody, you know, one of the ways that God's been good to you and give him the credit for it and celebrate his grace towards you um, before you leave. If you're new, and, you know, we got people here and people that are tuning in. Um, that, the thing with Peter, like, gets me. Because I thought, I know we have people that are right on that cusp, and I can't make that happen. We can't make that happen. God has to make that happen. When people come to faith in Jesus and start walking with him, God does crazy things. He just, that's just how he works and speaks in crazy ways. He doesn't always speak like that. We probably couldn't handle it if he did. But he does, especially early. And if he's been doing that, stop holding out on him. Stop being afraid. Uh, the best decision that you'll ever make is surrendering to him. And let us help you with that because that's what the church is here for. Father, I'm thankful for this story. I'm thankful for these people um, that persisted. I'm thankful for Nehemiah's leadership. I'm thankful that they got to this place.
where the wall was built and the people around them recognized that was God because these people weren't capable of that. I pray, Lord, that people would see that in us and that we would let them see that in us and that we would see that in us. That we would see and celebrate the things that you are doing within us and around us and through us all the time, God. That um, as the, John the Baptist said, we would decrease and you would continue and continue and continue to increase, Lord, in our hearts, in our relationships and friendships with each other, in our families, um, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our city, and particularly in the relationships with the people around us that don't yet know you, God. Would um, people hear the joy of Jerusalem, the joy of Oak City Church, the joy of your church in Raleigh, um, would we hear that in our hearts because we pay attention to it and would the people around us hear the joy um, that it is to know and to follow Jesus? We love you and pray this in Jesus' name.